He's a receiver now. Everything's coming in. He can't stop it. He can't slow it down. He can't even figure it out. It's like he's in a tunnel with a flashlight, but the light only comes on every once in a while. He gets a glimpse of something, but not enough to know what it is. Just enough to know it's there. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. Uh, I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 118, and our movie this week was 1999 Stir of Echoes, and joining me to talk about it from Two Peas in a Podcast, it's one of the peas, Gerald. Gerald, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, brother. Absolutely. Uh, so this episode was inspired while I was listening to your show. Um, uh-huh. And uh, you, it, the movie came up. I can't remember what top five list it was, um, but it was a recent yeah, one. I was fairly gonna, I recent. I was going to ask you about that because I can't remember either, but I remember you messaging me about it. It was, it was pretty recently. I was in the last like month maybe. Yeah. And in the movie got mentioned and you just kind of, you said like, you know, look, that's one that I missed. And I, and I was out uh, walking a, a trail, actually doing a trail hike. And I said out loud to myself, I'm like, well, I got to have Gerald on to talk about that one. Cause you're, <laughs> you are a horror movie fan. Yes. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed horror guy. I, I know we're not on video chat right now, but I'm surrounded by horror memorabilia and movie <laughs> posters. And it's, it's definitely my favorite genre of film. Yeah, and I mean, any if anyone's listened to your show, they know that. But for those that haven't, Gerald is a horror guy. So you not having seen this surprised me. Um, yeah. How is it that you missed this one? Because this feels like it would have been in your wheelhouse, especially when it came out. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. Because in the mid-90s is when I started to kind of morph into that uh, horror guy that we mentioned. So I really started to fall in love with horror, like right around when Scream came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, was kind of like a catapult for me. I mean, I liked horror movies before that, but I mean, I really, it, it became my favorite genre in the mid to late nineties. So it is kind of strange. I mean, I will say that after seeing the movie, I feel like it's, you know, a little more horror adjacent, you know, it's kind of a, a thriller with some horror elements mixed mm-hmm. in. At least that's how I would personally categorize it. I wouldn't, you know, go into a blockbuster video. I'm dating myself, but I wouldn't <laughs> go into a blockbuster and look for stir of echoes in the horror section. Uh, I would think it would be more like maybe thrillers, but yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about it. Although I feel bad <laughs> of what I might say because uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. So I'll just start with that just to kind of get the spoiler out there. No, you know what? That's fair. I mean, you can't love everything. And and I think some of it too can be kind of timing and context. I feel like sure. I have a little more of a, a nostalgic connection to this because I did see this. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it. If it wasn't 99, it was like 2000. It was not long mm-hmm. after. Um, and I remember seeing this then and really liking it. And it, over the years, what I've realized is this falls into the category of, you're familiar with the twin films theory? Yes. Um, so this definitely falls into that. Uh, and it's, it, it, this is the um, deep, deep impact to Armageddon, right? Um, right? Because a movie that came out a month before this was the sixth sense and yeah like, well six, it's interesting i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no, no go ahead go ahead 
Well, I was going to say it's interesting that you brought that up, and I figured we would talk about the sixth sense at some point during this discussion. But I'll just go ahead and say that I did see that movie very early on. In fact, I think mm-hmm. I saw Sixth Sense with my grandmother in the movie theater. And, you know, loving that genre of film, like we talked about, I just love that movie. One of the greatest plot twists in film history in that movie. Oh, sure. So being being such a huge fan of that, of the Sixth Sense, and then seeing Stir of Echoes 20 years later, it just didn't play, you know what I mean? Like, it was like seeing the opening act after the headliners had already <laughs> played, in my, in my opinion. But to your point, though, I feel like had you seen this in 99... Or had you possibly seen this before you saw The Sixth Sense, then it would probably play a lot differently for the viewer, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's I've read a lot of discussions online where people pit the two against each other, and you know there's a there's a pretty good fan base for this movie after the fact. It didn't do great in theaters, and a lot of that mm-hmm. is the because of The Sixth Sense. This came out literally a month later. It had mm-hmm. less than half the budget. This is about a twelve million dollar film uh, when it was made. Mm-hmm. And so it's U.S. gross was 22 million or just over yeah. 21 million, actually. Uh, whereas you got the Sixth Sense in 1999 making, I think it made like almost 300 million. Right. It was huge. Mm-hmm. It was. In, and I remember it being in theaters for like six months. It was just so that movie was really such a phenomenon and it kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the room. So then this movie mm-hmm. comes along a month later and everyone's like, well, I've already seen that. I'm going to go see something different. So I can right. completely get that. I would say my personal take is I like both movies, um, but if I have a choice between the two, I actually like Stir of Echoes a little bit better, and I think it's because of Kevin Bacon. Um, really? It, it, it is. Right. And, and it sounds like you didn't like Kevin Bacon in this a whole lot. Uh, are you much uh, of a, a Bacon fan in general? Like, Do you like him when you see him in things? Yeah, I do. I don't know if I like him in this type of... <laughs> film i don't know that this is his strong suit but i do i am a fan of his i do i do like him going all the way back to the 80s his early days even so mm-hmm. i would categorize myself as a fan of kevin bacon i just travis you know i love you like we, we are <laughs> buddies on social media we recommend movies to each other we've been on each other's shows like i'm a big fan of yours i listen to your show all the time I just, this movie just didn't do it for me, but I think it's my fault. I think I came to it way too late and I don't know. I guess when I sat down to watch it, I actually just watched this last night, by the way. So mm-hmm. maybe, tw- maybe 24 hours ago. And when I sat down to watch it, I guess I was expecting the sixth sense basically. <laughs> like I was expecting like that kind of level of filmmaking and I just didn't, in my opinion, it just didn't reach that level. It was, it was kind of cheesy. I thought, Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't think it was shot very well. Um, it was, it was kind of, it kind of felt like they were a little rushed in the production and kind of like some stuff was maybe left out or I, I don't know. It, it just, I feel bad, man. Cause I know you like this movie now. And like you said, I know there's a ton of people that like this movie. I mean, it's come mm-hmm. up on my show. I mean, you mentioned how it's been mentioned on my show. People are always like, you got to watch this or they put it into whatever top five list it might fall into. It just didn't connect with me, but I think it's probably because I came to it 20 years too late. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I, that absolutely makes sense coming to it later. And and also, as you mentioned, it, you know, you have uh, a really strong memory tied to The Sixth Sense. If you went and saw that in theaters with your grandmother, like right. there's a nostalgic tie to that movie that's going to make. And then this movie is same year, uh, you know, the same era, same very, very, very similar story told told yeah. a little different, but a similar type of story. 
and it doesn't have the budget. It doesn't have the production value that uh, Shyamalan had um, for The Sixth Sense. So I completely get that. I mean, this was this was directed, written, and directed by David Kep, mm-hmm. and he's written a lot of really good stuff. But this was only the second film he ever directed. So I can I kind of yeah, I can kind of get where like because he, he was you know writer on Jurassic Park. Um, he wrote uh, the first Mission Impossible. Uh, the first Sam Raimi Spider Man was his script. Panic um, Room. Yeah, uh, he's written a lot, but the direction. Um, Stir of Echoes. He did one in '96 called The Trigger Effect, which I never saw. Um, Secret Window, Premium Rush, Mordecai. Those are not well. Uh, Mordecai definitely didn't do that well. So his direction is a little a little off. I didn't mind it so much because I kind of like some of the practical effects that they did. I thought that was uh, I liked that the the whole tooth thing, um, the scene where he's looking, Kevin Bacon's looking in the mirror and he's pulling the tooth off. That was a practical effect. They just blacked out his tooth. And built like a okay. little cap, and okay. so yeah, he pulled the cap yeah. I definitely, off. Res- I definitely respect that stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, actually, one of my favorites is that creepy walk the girl does at one point, where she kind of walks towards the camera, and it's like it's real kind of jaggedy looking. Was uh-huh. apparently just a, a simple thing where they overcranked the camera and ran the speed up and had her walk really slowly and try to walk normally, but at a very slow pace. And then when they played it back at normal speed all those little hitches and things as you try to try to move like that got exaggerated and, and kind of looked weirdly ethereal and kind of extra creepy. And it's like little things like that, that I really, I enjoyed. Um, even something as simple as that. I can look at the effect where, um, Tom Whitkey, who's Kevin Bacon's character is getting the, the warnings where everything flashes red. And I, I don't mind that, but I can also see where somebody sees that and they're just like, wow, that's a cheap effect. Like it just looks, yeah, looks really cheap. I'm that guy. I'm, I'm watching it going, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know. It was almost like, and again, I, this is no disrespect to you or anyone else that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a fan of this movie, but it was almost like they didn't know what to do. They didn't know. They didn't know how to relay what was happening to him or to his character. So they were like, okay, we'll just do this red flash. But then it was like, coinciding with, you know, neon lights that he saw at the football game and like, you know, on the, um, the blinkers on the car and stuff. So I was confused. I'm like, is he, is like his perception of these visuals just like heightened or I I don't know. It was a really hard kind of, you know, that one scene I'm talking about where uh they leave the babysitter with the kid and then they go to the football game. And that's when kind of all the, you know, everything kind of, kind of gets kicked up a notch from a plot perspective. That whole sequence was just like confusing to me as a first time viewer because I wasn't I didn't know what I was supposed to be being told by the filmmaker. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know what Kevin Bacon's like, you know, power was or like what was happening with his character. It was just like a bunch of weird lights flashing. And sure. then he was at the football game and then he's like, oh, my God, the babysitter's taking her. And he started running home. And I'm like, how did he see? <laughs> like, does he know? How does he know that? Like, yeah. And honestly, as I'm sitting here, I still don't really know if I know how he knew that. But it was just so, kind of weird, you know what I mean? So that's why I said I felt like maybe there were some pieces missing to the narrative. I wasn't sure. Yeah, and and I will say that I think this movie would have benefited from being about 15 minutes longer to kind of let some of those things get explained a little bit better and maybe bake a few a few ideas a little further. Um, uh-huh. 
So one of the things I like about it, I've watched this movie a few times, and, and it's possible if you watch it again, you might start to pick up on this. I feel like part of it is that the movie is being told from the perspective of um, Tom and Maggie, who don't know what's going on, and Tom mm-hmm. is trying to figure it out. And it's almost like the film is structured in a way where we are learning it with Tom. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they kind of went that right. Cause you're, you're right. Like it's weird where you get the whole screen flash red, but then it's that same sound effect with just a, uh, a flashing red light on um, the bumper of a car mm-hmm. or the flashing red light of the baby monitor. And basically, I mean, what, what it comes down to is Tom's mind got opened up by his sister-in-law hypnotizing him, which one of the things with this movie, you've got to, suspend your disbelief and that hypnotism doesn't work that way right we we know that you can't be hypnotized to do things that you don't want to do right but the idea of that post-hypnotic suggestion and she basically she uh lisa um elena douglas not knowing enough and being she was she was the uh knows enough to be dangerous but not enough to actually do what she's claiming she can do and Mm -hmm she leaves that post-hypnotic suggestion of, well, your mind's going to be open now. And the problem with that was that in this movie's universe, she opened his mind to everything. And he, the way that the, the one guy um, that Maggie finds describes it is he's stuck in a, in a dark tunnel with a flashlight that only f- comes on every so often. And he can't, mm-hmm. he can't control that. So he can't make sense of what he's seeing. And right. I feel like that's how they structured the story for the audience. So we were piecing it together as you go. Because I have, in subsequent viewings, I've is actually when I grew to like it. At first, I liked it because I just thought, oh, that was a fun, fun little movie, and I like Kevin Bacon a ton. And mm-hmm. and then as I watched it more, I kind of dove into it, and I was like, oh, there, no, there's there's some more to this. This is based on a novel by Richard Matheson, which I think helps it. Um, on repeat viewings because you start to get some of he's he was the writer of um uh uh shoot what was the will smith movie with the vampires um oh i am legend yes that Mm -hmm. that's a richard matheson novel um he wrote for uh oh the twilight zone um for quite a while and Mm -hmm. You know, the novel I think was written in it's the novel was called a stir of echoes and it was written in 1958 and then I feel like this also had some influence from The Shining and uh, kind of that descent into madness. Like they were trying to to be influenced by that without just directly copying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's some of it. Like, and it might be worth it to watch it again. Give it a little bit of time, yeah. but but I think yeah. I mean, I, I I get it hearing you talk about it, and the premise is really cool, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a cool concept if you're able to you know suspend your disbelief, like right. you said, if you have any you know any knowledge of the world of hypnosis or anything like that. But I don't know, and I hate to keep you know circling back around to the sixth sense, but you look at a movie like that, which is obviously often compared to this, mm-hmm. and it was very it was very minimalistic in its approach. It didn't require a ton of explanation. It was just like this little kid has this ability, and you know we don't really know why it, he just does. Mm-hmm. And you know we're obviously dealing with two different levels of films and two different filmmakers and writers and that kind of thing. But I just feel like it was an over, they just over explained things to the point of the stuff they didn't need to over explain. And then there was things that I wanted them to explain, but they didn't. I mean, there's a whole sequence in this movie with, um, 
you know, when she puts him back under and he sees the message dig and he's like, I have to dig. And then it's like, okay, dude. And it's like 30 minutes of him digging. And it's just, like, (laughs) you know, and then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, I'm under the house. I'm going to do it here instead after he's destroyed his yard. So I'm thinking as a homeowner, like, dude, what are you doing? You know, like if I was this guy's wife, I would be going insane. Maggie. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, there was just a lot of, I don't know. It was just a really kind of jumbled story for me. I do like Kevin Bacon a lot, but I don't, do you feel like his performance was really like, I mean, I'm just curious as somebody that likes the movie. Cause I felt like it was a little bit like he kind of didn't care about what he was doing really. I that was my impression. F- yeah. I feel like he was, he was trying to, uh, I liked his performance because I felt like he was trying to keep it together while, while losing it. He it reminded me a little bit of like, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and how Dreyfus's mm-hmm. character is is slipping, but he's trying to hold it together, and that's what I felt sure, from from sure. him in this. You're right in that, like the scene in the backyard. It's actually probably my favorite part of his performance because he's kind of ramping it up, and it's mm-hmm. almost like I want more of that part of it um, mm-hmm. in the movie in different areas, and because there's that great moment where he's you know he's like, look, what is not the question? The question that I'm clearly trying to answer is where, and then you have that mm-hmm. moment where she looks over at the kid and he's like, "Don't worry, it's, it's not over there." Like, that's the part of his because that felt I don't know that that felt like the most Kevin Bacon to me. Yeah. Um, I also think it's interesting in the trivia um, and Diana in my chat it reminded me of that he had a, a pulled muscle in his neck for that scene. Oh. And okay. He was l- using a real pickaxe, uh, and so maybe some of that bled into it and gave him a little more, uh, <laughs> a little more juice yeah. for the scene. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, he, I mean, he definitely went for it. Right. Yeah. I just did. I just can't tell. Cause I mean, I followed his career. I mean, you look at him, you look at some of his performances in a movie, like a few good men, for example, just jumps yeah. out, jumps to mind. And he's, it was so like centered and like down to earth in that movie. And it was so like, it felt real. And I guess in stir of echoes, I felt like he was, like I could tell that he was playing this character. Like the performance was a little more over the top, a little more like boisterous, a little more like he was trying to sell it a little bit more as opposed to just kind of letting it happen. But to your point, maybe that was his intention based on the subject matter. So it could that be. could I, be the case too. Yeah, and I think a little bit of it is early in the movie he's trying to do the Chicago accent and <laughs> and then he loses mm-hmm. that at some point. It just kind of yeah. disappears and it's never brought up again. Uh, which is yeah. a bummer because his Chicago accent early on, I kind of bought it. Uh, I'm close enough to Chicago. I hear enough people talk that way. And it just sort of disappeared. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, I liked him. I got to tell you, though, I was actually, this viewing of it, I was really impressed with the kid that played Jake. Um, he's not Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense. Nobody, no. Nobody's going to approach that. That kid just killed that role. But this kid... Zachary David Cope, this was his first movie. Not only was it his first movie, it was also his last movie. He has not acted again. His IMDb page is a picture of him from this movie, and Mm. it's one credit, and that's it. It's like he disappeared. So either his parents or he decided they didn't want to do it anymore. But I thought he was actually, for a a child actor in a horror film, I thought he was pretty good. Um, Yeah, he did did good. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought he had a good performance. I also thought uh, Kevin Dunn did really well, too, his neighbor. Yes. The one that kind of ends up being a pivotal plot to the end of the film, too. But, 
you know, because he always plays that kind of suburban dad role. And he's one of those character actors that pops up in TV and film and you like recognize him immediately, but you never really know who it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a that guy. <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah. And here he was in this movie. And I thought I've never at least to, at least from memory, I don't remember Kevin Dunn really giving this type of performance that was kind of overly dramatic like it was in this movie. I thought he did really well, especially in the last act when, you know, the stuff happens with his son and everything. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was really emotional. I thought I thought he did really well. That was something different for him that I'd, I like I said, from memory that I don't remember him doing. Well, most of what we know, I mean, if you recognize Kevin Dunn, you're recognizing him from things like Godzilla or Transformers or uh, right. he, was, he had a, a small role in uh, Dave. He, he usually would show up as you're right. That's kind of suburban dad, um, usually a little funny or a little clueless. Um, and he's great. He's yeah, great. He, at he was it. hilarious I, in Transformers, the first one. <laughs> I loved him in that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like Kevin Dunn. This was a different role. It's funny. This is actually one of the roles for Kevin Dunn that I remember um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And I think it's because one of the things the movie did that was jarring was some of the premonitions. It, it wasn't consistent in the style of premonitions that he would have, um, mm-hmm. him being Tom. So some of them would be flashes of images and like parts of it are blurred out and some of it is seeing Samantha and it's very ethereal. And then you have these other moments like where he wakes up from a nap and he looks up and there's there's Frank, you know, Kevin Dunn in his house talking to Mm -hmm. him and walking out clear as day. He's he's ultimately seeing the future at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That was another thing that kind of bothered me about the movie is, and I, I use the word like what was Tom's power? Power is not the right word, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, what, what was he, what was his ability? What was his newfound ability based on the hallucination? Because it was just confusing to me. And you, you literally just took the words right out of my mouth. It's (laughs) like he could see the future at one point, you know, his, his dreams are becoming reality at another point. Then he's, you know, he sits up on the couch and he sees this ghostly girl and it's just like a vision or like whatever. Um, obviously, we hear the the different echoes and stuff, you know, obviously playing to the title of the film. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I just never knew like I feel like there was X. Ex- now, we did get the exposition that you mentioned from that side character who, yep. you know, said, well, he's in this tunnel with a flashlight. He, you know, he gave that whole exposition, which did help. A little bit where I was kind of like, okay, you know, this guy's been through this. This is what he, you know, it's kind of an unknown, I guess. But I just feel like you have a movie like The Sixth Sense where them not telling you anything adds to the kind of aura of the film. Because all you know is that this little boy can communicate with the deceased, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't have to know anything else. So in this movie because of the source material, most likely in the screenplay, it was a little too complicated because, and, and I'm, and I'm talking about for me, because I'm looking for that explanation. Like mm-hmm. uh, that's not how hypnosis works. First of all, <laughs> well, let's just say it, let's just say it does. Then let's give him one thing. Okay. So like, yeah, he gets hypnotized. We open the door, like whatever. So now he's able to, you know, his dreams come true or like what, I don't know, whatever you want to fill in the blank there where like, if it's one thing and then that's kind of the constant narrative of the film, I feel like I would have enjoyed it a little bit more, but in this viewing, it was kind of like all over the place. Like I never knew. Cause you know, and some of the scenes were great. You know, I really liked the scene when he wakes up like what you were talking about. And then he, he realizes he's kind of reliving it all over again. So he's trying to rush down before the gun goes off. 
Yeah. Like I thought that I thought that was cool and that was a lot of great tension in that scene. But again, it wasn't, you know, consistent with the other things that Kevin Bacon's character had done to that point. You know what I mean? Is this making sense? Actually, yes, it does very much. Uh, I I feel like in the novel, they would have more time to kind of explain. Yeah, that, of course. That there's yeah, different sure. things going on, and in the movie, especially a movie that's only an hour and forty five minutes, they're really trying to condense that down. I it, it's almost like I wanted the scene with uh, Neil the cop to happen earlier in the movie, and kind yeah. of set you up. That doesn't happen till about an sure. hour in. And, that would have been helpful. And and that would sort of front load things and kind of prepare you for what's going on as opposed to, and that's why I think a lot of this is being told from Tom's point of view for us as the audience, where we're not figuring it out until Maggie does. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're right. It it definitely, the consistency is, I think the, the weakest part of this. And if, if his unlocked abilities were more consistent, because obviously Jake, his son was born with these abilities and yeah. And there you go. And that, and that's basically the premise of the sixth sense. And so many, you know, <laughs> any, I mean, if you look at it for face value, Jake's story is basically Haley Joel Osmond's story from yep. Sixth sense like that. In other words, if we were just following Jake's story and we were only, and we were seeing this movie through his eyes, it would have been a mirror image of Sixth sense, or you would think it would have been very similar. Yeah. You know, he, he, he was talking to the Samantha girl who was killed in the house by the way, that was another thing. Like, I don't know if I missed dialogue or not, but I was confused. Like, when was she killed? Because had they just moved into that house? Because I felt like they had been there for a long time. No. And then, the, and then yeah. the body was in the basement. I don't, so I was confused by the timeline aspect, too. There was some some dialogue between um, Tom okay. and All the right. guy uh, the guy that owned the house. Um, okay. Uh, that Harry. came over at the end with his boy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. which it, my other complaint is that that character was sort of like not fleshed out enough to then show up and be the bad guy at the end. <laughs> That's um, true. To where, That's true. to where Kevin Dunn does a deus ex machina. Like there are, there are issues I, that I have with the movie. Um, and I can, but I feel like I'm nitpicking when I do that. And it's, I'm probably not. They're definitely flaw, uh, flaws. But he, there's somewhere in there where he mentions like, no, you guys are the first tenants. He had just bought the house. He was buying up properties in that block um, and wanted to, I, I don't know if he was supposed to be, he mentions, there's another throwaway line where he says, when, when I take the uniform off, I'm practically a landlord already. So I think he was a cop or a fireman or something locally, but he was buying up properties, renovating them. And this okay, was, so it was before, it was while they were renovating. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and they mentioned it was like six months ago or something. So I just, I just, I just missed that then, because I, because when it happened, I was like, you know, I thought maybe she was killed there, but I don't know. I guess I was confused that her mm. body was was there because I was, I don't know. They made it. There, I remember a couple scenes. By the way, this movie had a shit ton of neighborhood barbecues. Yes, it did. Another thing, they were always at a barbecue. I'm like, I don't want to talk to my neighbors like that often. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. But anyway, uh, I just was thinking to myself, like, I, I was just scratching my head because they were at these barbecues and stuff, and they were kind of making it sound like they'd been there forever, and they, like, had this camaraderie, and they knew each other, and, like, the the um, the girl that did the hypnosis was, like, mentioning how, you know, Kevin Bacon's character had only been in the same six blocks his whole life, you yeah. know, or something, something to that effect, so... It, that's why I was confused when the body was there. I was like, oh, I thought he'd lived there forever, but I guess 
I was just confused, but I guess I missed that conversation. And and it's really easy to uh, as well because it's kind of done in a throwaway manner, and they don't explicitly like that. It they don't make a big point of saying that they just moved in, uh, over and over. They, it's sort of mentioned once, and then that's it. Mm-hmm, yeah. But you're right; they give you this feel because this is supposed to be this really tight knit neighborhood. They give you this uh, idea that he's been there for a long time, and and like maybe just a little bit of dialogue of of how long ago they moved in. Uh, more than once helps to make that a little more kind of explicit. So yeah, I can, I can get that. Um, you mentioned Lisa, Elena Douglas. I think the other thing with this movie that can be a little weird is she makes the tone feel different because she, uh, she was, (laughs) this is the hit, hit, hit assist, right? Yes. Yeah. She was insufferable. I can't, <laughs> I, I've seen her in other stuff. I can't place like right this second what I've seen her in besides mm-hmm. maybe Goodfellas. I remember her, she had a small role in Goodfellas, but mm. aside, aside from that, she was just very like obnoxious. And I don't know if that's how that was supposed to be played or not. By the way, what was her relationship to them? This is uh, another thing that I didn't understand. Oh, that is she was his sister or what? That was his uh, Maggie's sister, his wife's sister. And they tell us that in the movie. Uh, yeah, at some point they <laughs> Cause do. I because I kept waiting for them to like, because I kept waiting for them to kind of like, you know, mention it, like who she was. I mean, I knew she was close to them because she was mm-hmm. like babysitting and she was always available and coming over and like. So I knew it was either, or I, I suspected it was either her sister or his sister. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know if they ever actually said whose sister it was. But maybe they did. I think I, they might have. When like, she was saying she was pregnant, maybe? Yeah, I think it was right at the beginning. And then she's okay. at the All grandmother's right. funeral, too. Right. Um, I knew that part, too. Yeah. So, so yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm just but, an idiot, man. I was like trying to figure all this out. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. You're you're watching it for the first time. Like this is part of what I like about these conversations is this is stuff that I notice and I can take for granted because I've maybe watched a movie two, three, four times. Um, yeah, sure. And it's interesting to talk to somebody who is watching it for the first time and the little things like that because you're right. If they mention it once at the beginning and then they don't mention it again, it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, again, the movie's... I, I feel like that it needed that little bit longer of a runtime to let a few of these background pieces uh, bake a little bit more. I, I mentioned the the character, um, uh, what the heck is his name, Harry, and how he just mm-hmm. he's there, and there's like little hints that something isn't right with him, but it's not explicitly stated until he shows up at the end, um, and that's right. when like, okay, no, he is on. Yeah, there's yeah, there's no real inclination prior to that. Well, really, there's no development of his character at all. No. I mean, he's just like in a couple scenes having beers, like flipping burgers. Like there's no like, I mean, I know there's conversations about him renovating the neighborhood and like, you know, obviously he's a hometown guy or whatever, but we don't get any indication that he's a bad person until no. it's like happening. And you're like, oh, okay, well, shit, this guy, <laughs> this, this is who this guy is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and that's the kind of things that like, uh, a little bit better uh, execution on the script is going to just give, you can do that subtly and it still make perfect sense. And they were just, they were almost like too subtle with it. Um, Cause like I noticed on this watch, Kevin Dunn's character, he's, he's not completely innocent. Obviously he helped cover up the everything because he was so concerned about his son. Um, but he's really a sympathetic character because he just wanted mm-hmm. something for his kid he just didn't know how to go about it. And right. 
Yeah, I really like. I mean, he, you know, I know Kevin Bacon's the the draw here, much like Bruce Willis probably was for Six Sense. But I, I mean, Kevin Dunn for me, and then you mentioned the um, kid actor that played Jake too. I mean, those those were my two takeaways for like from a performance perspective. Mm-hmm. I do well. I do love Kevin Bacon. I just don't think this was one of his better performances. Which is um, but Kevin Dunn, I thought re- did really well. Like I said, it was something different that I and I know that I know I'm coming to this 20 years late, but. I've, you know, he was the goofball dad in Transformers that I laughed my ass off at, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, run, run around during earthquakes or whatever. So I just <laughs> didn't expect that kind of emotional, like dramatic performance from him, especially in the last act of this movie when he was in the basement and he told him to get the hell out of there yeah. and you thought he was going to kill himself. And actually I did think he was going to kill himself. I thought that's mm-hmm. how that was going to play out. And in my mind, I thought, well, Kevin Dunn's going to shoot himself and then that's going to be something else that's going to haunt, so to speak. Um, Kevin Baker, uh, Tom's character, you know, so that's not what happened, but that's what I thought was going to happen at the, in the moment. So as I'm watching that, I'm like, man, this guy's really selling this to me. You know, he's just this tortured father that lost his kid and, you know, he's at the end of his rope. He doesn't know what to do and he just doesn't want to live anymore. You know, I really believed it coming from Kevin Dunn. Now, yeah. when Kevin Bacon was going through what he was going through and trying to figure out all these premonitions and stuff, that's what I mean. I just didn't connect to his performance. I just didn't. I just didn't buy what he was trying to sell me, you know, and I love Kevin Bacon. So I feel bad saying that uh, there's been a ton of movies that I've loved him in. But this I just didn't think this was a great performance, in my opinion. And I'm sorry, Travis, don't be upset. No, I've, nope, not upset at all. No, I you are you are more than you're entitled never gonna, to your opinion. Gonna, you're never going to have me on again. I know. <laughs> oh, we know that's not true. Um, oh. No, it, I can I can get that. And it's possible, too, that you may watch it again uh, at some point and yeah. and change your mind on that. It's hard to say. One of the things, though, that I do think is really strong in the script is I like the dynamic between Tom, Maggie, and Jake overall Mm -hmm. in that there isn't, like, most times in a horror movie or most times in especially a thriller like this where something's happening to somebody and they can't quite figure out what's going on, you get a lot of, uh, like, the tropey way to go about it is Tom not explaining what's going on or not telling Maggie what's happening and kind of, you know, um, sloughing it off a little bit and just being like, no, no, nothing. It's nothing. And, and her having to figure it out on her own. There's kind of that happening, but he's also very upfront with like, no, look, I'm having weird hallucinations. I'm seeing things and she's buying it. She doesn't think he's crazy. She wants to figure out why he's going through this. And then Jake is super open talking about like, oh yeah, Samantha told me that. And, you know, at first Maggie doesn't really pay attention to that because she's kind of, she's distracted and there's all sorts of other things going on. But it's the fact that like, they don't freak out on the fact that their kid mentions a dead girl. uh, Right. They they have, they have each other's back as a family. I agree with that. I kind of got that sense too. Yeah, and I, and that I really like. I, that I did connect with because I think that that is something that just not enough thrillers or horror movies do to make it feel like a real relationship instead of just three characters that were written on a page. And also, like to your point too, there was a scene when um, Tom was really trying to get it out of Jake, and uh, Jake was just like, "I don't want to talk about it. It's going to scare mommy," you know, because he yeah. could tell that she, he could tell that you know she wasn't really. She didn't like that her son was kind of going through what he was going through, a little bit of denial, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, and being a little naive in that respect, kind of ignoring it and hoping it'll go away kind of thing, you know. But I did like I did like the family dynamic as well. I agree with you. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's one of those where 
I will agree with you. It's not a perfect movie, and I can completely understand how it is that you that uh, it just didn't do it for you. Um, but I do think it's a movie that more people should see uh, if you mm-hmm. like thrillers like this. Now, there is a sequel. Um, I have not watched it, but based on the trailer, I don't <laughs> wow. want to. Because, Holy shit! Yeah, boy, uh, that trailer just looks rough, and they're really yeah. hammering home the paint it black, which that the song works in this movie. And that's actually part of Tom's character that I wish would have been explored more because I bet you didn't realize he was trying to get back into like music and be in a band. No, I did. Um, I, you know, it's, you're bringing up points for me that I probably would have forgotten <laughs> to mention, but that's another thing that bothered me because I, I did think he was a musician of, you know, at some point in his life or mm-hmm. like whatever, because when we meet him in the beginning of the movie, he's playing the guitar on the bed. And then we see like, he has these amplifiers around his house and stuff. And he has these really like really, um, hi-fi like stereo system. So I'm like, he's gotta be a musician. Right. But then he's talking about working for the phone company. And we have that one scene where he's, he's actually at work on the, on the phone poles. Yeah. So I, I was just like, why aren't they telling us what's going on here with the music? You know what I mean? Again, it's like they edited out certain scenes that would have shown us, why he had, I mean, cause they had to go through the trouble of getting all the music equipment for the production design. Right. So right. they obviously had this written in, in some way or another to have all this music equipment around the house and for him to be playing guitars and everything. So obviously his character is a musician or is an aspiring musician or something to that effect. And they just never tell us, you know, which bothered me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the closest they got is there's a moment after. So she tells him he, uh, that she's pregnant. And he has possibly the worst reaction you can have to that, right? To say, yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't good. Like, oof. Yeah, bummer. Uh, and, and so she suitably gets pissed off. And when when he is talking to her, he says, it's like this completely, and, and I've used throwaway line a few times, but it's a very throwaway where he says, you know, oh, I'll talk to whoever about the thing and he can get somebody else. And what that was uh-huh. is it was like him talking about uh, a gig or something. Oh, okay. All and right. it, it's one of those that it's a, it's literally a uh, an audio version of a blink and you'll miss it because okay. it's never mentioned again. Um, yeah. The closest they get is him talking about you know well, I'm not going to be a lineman forever. I thought I'd be, I thought I'd be more you know famous or whatever. Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember that conversation, but I just thought. At the time, you know, now that I'm talking to you, I'm kind of thinking that it might apply to what we're talking about. But at the time, I thought he was just saying, like, you know, he didn't want to he's in a dead end job, basically. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how I took the conversation to go at that point in time. Yeah. But I just wish they would have explored it more. I mean, he's in a band in real life. So, yeah, exactly. Um, You know, I'm sure I'm sure he could have played tunes, you know. Yeah. And it, it just it's one of those where, again, I feel and I've I've said this about a lot of movies. Um where when you're adapting something like a novel, there's so much more time in a novel to develop things that you can't do in an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm not saying that this movie needed to be some four hour epic, um, but even another 15 minutes and, and maybe trim some of the fat a little bit. Yeah. Or condense the, yeah, I agree. Or condense the different paths that you, because this movie was a classic example of, going down a, a straight and narrow path and then all of a sudden you're just 
breaking off this fork in the road. You have all these different like exits you can take. You know, there's mm-hmm. like five different exits in front of you. And what the what this movie does, in my opinion, is that it gives us like what's down each exit. You know what I mean? Instead of just giving us the one kind of like through line that we could focus on. And yeah. I'm talking about for me, for me, why I struggled with it because I. I guess I should have not thought about it as hard as I did and just kind of watched it, but I was just kind of like waiting for them to tie it up in a bow, and it just it it just was kind of all over the place, in my opinion. Yeah, well, where so using the Sixth Sense is a great comparison for this, not only because they were released in theaters a month apart, but also like the Sixth Sense is a very distilled down story. It's very much about Cole and about Bruce Willis's character and their relationship, and it, it follows that thread. Stir of Echoes is kind of Tom's story, but they sort of want to play with it being a little bit of Maggie's story, and we're going to toss and in Jake's. some Jake's. Yeah, we're yeah. going to toss in some Jake just for fun. And like, you're right, it's got a lot of directions, and instead of picking one and sticking with it, it goes down one a little ways, and then veers this way for a scene, and then veers back this way. Like, I liked the fact that Maggie wants to find out what's going on. And so she takes it upon herself to go talk to Neil, the cop. Um, right. But then it, then she goes to her grandmother's funeral and is basically out of the movie until the very end uh, when she happens to come back at the at the wrong time. So you're right. There, there's a little bit of unfocusedness to it. Um, yeah, which is fine. You know, and I, I just want to point out, I just want you and the listeners that, that love this movie to know that's fine. It just wasn't for me. Like mm-hmm. I... I would pref- I would definitely prefer something like The Sixth Sense that, uh, I mean, first of all, it has Tony Collette in it, so <laughs> she's one of my queens. You can't go wrong with that. There you go. But I don't know. I just, I like that kind of, the the atmosphere and the aura and the aesthetic can be creepy and can be scary without having to give me all this, like, flash and, like, all these different, like, sensory overload things that I have to, like, visually appeal me. You know what I mean? I felt like, it was disappointing to me because I felt like Stir of Echoes was a great like concept. And when I was reading the description before I watched it, I'm like, oh, okay, this is gonna be cool. It's got Kevin Bacon, like, you know, it got a yeah. little bit of horror in there. I'm gonna dig this, you know. And there were parts of it that I did enjoy, but just overall, it just felt like it was trying to do too much. Uh, you know, it's like if if a kid gets a homework assignment and the teacher's like, you know, do this, and then they come back the next morning and they have like. 15 things completed. They did too much. Like you just needed to do that one project. You know what I mean? Yep. And I just wish that David Cope or whoever would have just kind of like taken a step back and just like made it a little more like folk, like centric focused, you know? Sure. No, I can, I can totally get that. Um, I do want to mention a couple of other effects uh, because sure. I, I talked about the, the weird walk and all that, but there's two shots in this movie that I still, it doesn't matter how many times I see it. I still like cringe and have to almost look away. Um, yeah. the, the, when, when she hits her head and then the tooth coming out, but then the yeah. fingernail, the fingernail one too, which I know it's fake. Um, I can, when I watch it now, I can actually see the cut between, uh, where it's the real hand and oh, then it's okay. the hand with the fake on it just because I've, I've right. seen it enough times, but it still makes my skin crawl. Like fingernails and teeth are the things that are tough to watch. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, they employed a little bit of uh, what we call body horror there, and mm-hmm. um, you know, th- you know, that's the idea. The idea is that you cringe and that you want to look away, but you don't, and you have to watch it at the same time. You know, and somebody like you who's seen it multiple times, you still watch it. 
So yeah. that's when you know that's when you know the effects artist has really done a great job with the body horror. So, you know, one of my favorite body horror films is The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Oh yeah, and that's you know, <laughs> talk about hard to watch. I mean, this is a human turning into an insect, and it's you know well, Cronenberg doesn't doesn't hold yeah. back. I was gonna say Cronen uh, Cronenberg in a body horror. Yeah, it's always gonna be tough to watch. But it's such a hard it's such a hard watch. But literally, I've seen that movie probably 10, 15 times, and like I can't not watch it because if you're looking at it from a filmmaking perspective and like mm -hmm. a special effects perspective, especially when it's practical, yeah, like it's just so impressive, you know, and you just kind of like what you said about how you can tell now that the, that the finger is fake and like, you know, if you didn't watch it over and over again, you wouldn't be able to tell that if you were just one of those people that just covered your eyes and just yep. looked away. So you do have to kind of admire it a little bit, but at the same time, it just kind of makes you cringe, you know, yeah. which is good. I mean, that's what the goal is when they do scenes like that. Well, yeah, and especially for that scene because that is – it's shown to us a couple of times and then when we finally get the full reveal of what the scene is, it is two high school boys sexually assaulting a whatever 17-year-old girl. And yeah. that in itself is is really difficult subject matter. But they yeah. also shoot it in such a way that you never see anything beyond the fingernail and the tooth. Like that's the worst that you see. And that being affecting and being difficult to look at, then your brain starts to fill in the gaps and it makes it even right. worse. So it's a right. it's an uncomfortable scene to watch. Um, and it really it really puts the viewer in the perspective of, you know, these kids deserve, you know, whatever's coming to them or yeah. whatever. Yep, pretty much. Um, you know, that 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 scene, <clears throat> I guess we're going to talk about it, but that the ending scene. Uh, how, how can I articulate this? So. I agree with you that the subject matter is obviously a little taboo, a little risque. And, and like you said, hard to watch, not because of the body horror, just because of, you know, this girl being sexually assaulted. And, um, I just felt like it came out of nowhere. Like as I was watching it, like I mm -hmm. felt like because he's having the flashback, right. Or he's seeing it because he's holding her hand, the corpse's yep. hand. Right. Yep. So again, here's another ability that he has <laughs> that I don't fucking know why. You know, I was like, okay, I guess he could do this now. But yeah, so he's having the flashback and it just kind of like, I don't know. I didn't expect that to happen like that. Like I didn't, I'm not saying I didn't like it because I do like when movies surprise me and take me by surprise. Mm -hmm. But it, I just felt like that just happened really quick. Like they, by the way, was she, um, is she, was she like mentally challenged her character? Cause they kept calling her that, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. That was another thing that isn't really explained very well because the character of Lenny, uh, uses the R word and right. It's actually one of the things I do like about, um, the script is, and it gives you a, a quick kind of moment earlier in the movie where you, you can, you can feel some sympathy for Kevin Dunn at the end. Because as soon as Lenny says that, he jumps down his throat about it, and he immediately mm -hmm. tells him how bad that is. So you know, like you know right. that that Frank isn't a bad guy. Um, he didn't raise him to talk like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Jennifer Morrison, by the way, from Once Upon a Time. Yep. I guess you probably know that who plays Samantha. But that was a pleasant surprise. I also really enjoyed that because I like her as mm -hmm. an actress. Yeah, and this must have been this must have been one of her really first roles, I would imagine. But I would think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... I don't know. I just felt like that scene kind of came. It just kind of like came up and was just like there out of nowhere because he had the flashback and then like you know the kids were trying to lure her into the house and stuff. And, yeah, and it was very uncomfortable and awkward to watch just because you know it was, it was a bad thing that was happening. 
and they were taking advantage of her and you know, you want to be my friend and like, you know, all the dumb stuff that kids will say to each other to do stupid <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't dislike it necessarily. It was just like unexpected and I felt like it kind of came out of nowhere in, in the flow of the movie. Yeah, it's it, no, it's it's definitely something where that scene can be jarring and I think it's meant it, it was meant to be. But I also wonder if it wasn't maybe a little bit of either like the studio saying, hey, cut this down, get a little bit shorter or David kept just being um, one, you know, wanting to keep things as a tighter running time. But it is a little bit uh, of a left turn because up until that point, we know that she was killed. We know that somebody had died, but we didn't know that there was any kind of sexual assault angle to it. So then to get that thrown in right at the end, along with, yeah. again, as I mentioned earlier, Harry showing up, and now we get this like turn from him where he he goes from maybe hinted that he knows something to, oh, no, he was kind of the mastermind behind the whole thing. Um, right. And, right. you know, there and yeah. and he's just going to straight up murder this dude and his wife in the house uh, right. to cover up what happened. Like, you're right. It, it does and a little bit. Come out gonna, of and the son's going to be an accomplice. So he'll have two murders on his hands. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's right. almost like it's not earned. Like they didn't earn that scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot happening in the last like 10 to 15 minutes, which is OK. Uh, it's OK. Like. I kind of like how, you know, the climax of the movie, I enjoyed the climax of the film. That was definitely my favorite act of the film was the last act. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, because by that point I had kind of accepted like, okay, Kevin Bacon just has all these weird abilities. Like he's just going to be able to figure out what's going on based on his mind being open um, by the hypnosis and and whatnot. Whatever the plot Um, needs of him. uh, (laughs) Basically, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for saying that because that's basically what I'm thinking in my mind. Uh, You know, but I didn't mind it. I, you know, I... I like the way it ended. I think the ending saved it a little bit for me, if I'm being honest, because up in the first two thirds of the movie, I wasn't like super impressed, but Mm -hmm. I did like kind of how it came to fruition at the end of the movie. And, and I did really like the moment where they paid off the feathers line from the kid because he's out of the movie by that point. He's not around. I think some of that was logistics because you can only work with kids so much um, Mm -hmm. or you're allowed to in Hollywood. And in fact, that was a trivia piece was, one of the shots at the grandmother's funeral, they had to use a stand-in because they oh. realized that they were they were out of hours for that day to work with Zachary David Cope. So, like the crew, according to the trivia, the crew were running around in neighborhood houses trying to find a kid that looked like him, um, that their their parents would let him, you know, be like a, a stand-in. Um, Interesting. But I, I liked that payoff because again, the, Jake is sort of forgotten by in the last act of the movie. He's not in it. But he has that moment where he doesn't want to go home because of the feathers. And that's all he says. And they pay that off. Like, had had she, had she he been at home, he's dead. He's shot mm-hmm. in his bed. And I kind of like that. But you're right. Like, the, the it, I don't know. It, it's not a perfect movie, but I really enjoy it. And I think mm-hmm. it's just. Do you, do you can, think, um, do you think it holds up? I mean, or do you like it better on a rewatch than take yourself back 20 years ago when you saw it? I'm just curious. I like it better the more that I've seen it for sure. Okay. Um, because, right. because I can, I'm, I don't have the jarring thing of like, well, wait, now, now he can do this or wait, what's going on here? Or what is, I can, I can dive in more to like, okay, so yeah, red, sure. red is warning. And, 
because that's another thing when you watch it you can uh you can start to break down some of the color palettes that they used a lot of the stuff that dealt with samantha everything gets this blue tint the lighting might uh-huh. be more blue jake is usually in blue light um and then if there's anything that's going to be a warning of some kind it's very red the the car um at the very beginning of the movie that leads to the party uh where he gets hypnotized it's a red car that the kid is like getting joked around with um so mm-hmm. there's like little subtle things like that that i notice the more that i watch it as i kind of my analytical brain kicks in because now i know i know what the story's going to tell me and so i can watch other aspects of it or pay more attention to the interplay between tom and maggie and jake um, sure makes stuff sense. like that so yeah but I can get where if you haven't seen it and you're coming to it 20 years later and the first thing you get is, it, you know, the the disjointed story, yeah, it, it's not going to hold up. And especially, again, yeah, when, the, when you have the sixth sense to kind of compare it to. Yeah, which, uh, what I was going to say is I, I really, of course, I'm never going to know. I'm never going to know, but I mm-hmm. really do wonder what my impression of this movie would have been if I saw this before the sixth sense. And I don't even mean in 99. I just mean like, let's say I'd never seen the sixth sense and I watched this last night. I wonder, you know, what my level of enjoyment would have been with it. But I guess because the sixth sense is one of my favorites, Mm -hmm. it was just so hard to not, you know, compare it to that movie. I mean, I I constantly found myself doing that and I constantly found myself asking why, why doesn't the director, you know, take this approach? Why doesn't he, you know, like kind of simplify this down a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Shyamalan did that, but then he gave us the ultimate twist at the end of the movie, which this movie had a great ending too. I felt like, mm-hmm. but it was just so like zigzaggy all over the place to get there, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, know? no, I can get that. It it meandered its way to its ending, whereas The Sixth Sense was very much a straight through line. Of right. here's point A, here's point B, and here's my ending at point C. And this movie went, you know, from A to one to to D, and then finally right. worked its way to the ending. Um, right. So yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And it would be interesting to know how you would have thought of I know. this yeah. prior to that. I and know. that, and that's one of those great kind of philosophical debates that you can have with films. Like, uh, one of the movies, one of the few movies that I've covered on this show that I didn't enjoy and didn't really like, because I like, I like everything, um, was mm-hmm. Miami Vice. And mm-hmm. part of that, I wonder, is if I had seen it or it, if it wasn't titled Miami Vice, or if I knew nothing about and had and and had no memory whatsoever of the show, or the show didn't exist and this movie was its own thing, how much mm-hmm. more I might have enjoyed that because I love. Um, Michael Mann so much. Uh, you know, you and I talked at length about him when you were on talking about Heat. And mm-hmm. and so it just makes me wonder, like that's those kind of fun philosophical debates that you can have. And that's one of the things I love about films is right. I can like Stir of Echoes maybe a slight bit more 20 years later than I do uh, The Sixth Sense, which is also a movie that I adore. I think it's probably, if not my favorite uh, of Shyamalan. Uh, it's my second favorite behind Unbreakable. Um, okay. But but then for you, you know, you're coming to Stir of Echoes 20 years later. You don't have that same background with it. So it's all you've got to go on is, oh, this kind of is reminding me a little bit of The Sixth Sense. I wonder what I'm getting into. And then it's not that same thing, but it's like right. it's close enough to it. It's, it's not Coca-Cola. It's the Walmart version of Coca-Cola. <laughs> right. Well, I've got a uh, 
the reason I asked you is I've got a show on my to-do list of uh, our top five movies that hold up. Hmm. And it has and it has to be a movie that's at least 20 years old or more. So I was thinking about having you specifically on for that. But I was just curious because this movie just like, you know, Stir of Echoes just screamed to me of that type of movie that would have been super awesome, like in the moment, like in 99, especially if for some reason you hadn't seen Sixth Sense at that point. It was just like, it just felt like a 90s movie. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of movies that I've seen or that I saw in the 90s that I loved in the 90s, but when I watch them now or if I see them on TV now and I stop and watch them, they just don't hold up for me. I still like them, mm-hmm. but I just don't have the same feelings watching them as I did when I watched them in the 90s. Sure. And this movie kind of screams that to me. I, I don't know because I didn't see it in the 90s. You know, I'm coming to it in 2021, so I'm not sure. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, some movies, ha- like we mentioned Scream earlier from 96, right? Yeah. I could watch that movie a hundred years from now and it'll, I'll enjoy it as much as I did in 96. Like Absolutely. that movie, I could tell you right now as one of the number one, a one rewatchability, like never gets old for me personally, but no, I'm, I'm seeing, right with you on that. But then, uh, I yeah. think I, on the flip side of it, um, I know what you did last summer while I enjoyed it when I saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm not sure that it would hold up the same way that scream does, uh, yeah, for it, me. And it's right around that same time frame. So, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I'm biased. I watch that every July 4th uh, <laughs> weekend. So I watch that in Jaws every July 4th weekend. But um, you're right, though. Scream is definitely has more of a rewatchability factor than last summer. But Stir of Echoes, do you, you get what I'm saying? Like, it just screams yeah. to me like this is a 90s movie that is would have been so great to have seen it back then. But I didn't. You know, it passed mm-hmm. me by. And so now seeing it, I'm just questioning all these different kind of like plot threads and like. No, you know, I, Bacon's performance and, you know, whatever, which I shouldn't be doing. I should just be kind of watching it. But I just wish I had seen it earlier on. You know, what would be another one that'd be interesting to to look at in the same way is um, did you ever see White Noise? With um, I did. That's okay. uh, Michael Keaton, right? Yeah, or that was that... Michael, Michael Keaton. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, I want to say it's like oh five, oh six, something like that. Right I around there. I think I did see that one in the theater, but I don't really remember it too there. well. There's some stylistic similarities and kind of tonal similarities with this. And I feel like that might be the same type of thing where I saw it in the theater. And so I have a pretty decent memory of like, I enjoyed that. But I wonder if somebody seeing it today for the first time would be like, well, I don't know if I'd buy, you know, Michael Keaton in it and and all that. And I loved him in it. I loved the, that was a movie that I liked for 90% of it. And then the ending sort of fell apart under its own weight. Right. Um, but right. It, that seems like a similar type of movie where it's like, does this hold up or would this be considered decent now uh, through the lens of today if you hadn't seen it previously? So, yeah, I can see that with Stir of Echoes for sure. Um, it's tough for me because, again, as I said, I like everything. Uh, I'm, I I'm a terrible and I do critic. Too. <laughs> and I do, too. And I think you know that about me. And mm-hmm. that's why I feel bad because... You know, I knew about the horror elements and I knew, you know, Kevin Bacon and like, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't hate it. I mean, you know, I don't know if you want, we don't do, you don't do ratings, do you or do you? Uh, not not you usually, me. no, but, okay, but it's, it's so. always interesting to know, you know, what people think of it because I like to make the joke that the only time I've shown somebody a movie where they really hated it was um, Tank Girl. Uh, everybody <laughs> that I had on for that one hated that movie, but me. Um, oh wow okay yeah i definitely didn't hate stir of echoes that's a strong word and honestly i rarely uh hate movies like mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, I same mean, for me. I I, I two, mean, if I've seen and I'm just literally throwing numbers out there, but if I've seen 10,000 movies, I've probably hated maybe five of them. Like mm-hmm. I just don't really hate movies very often. Uh, well, you know, I might critique them and say that they're a piece of crap or whatever, or they're not very good, but I always find something to like about them. Usually not yes. always. Yep. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't hate Sir of Echoes. It was just, I guess I was expecting something different than what I got because I was expecting something a little more along the lines of Sixth Sense, but with Kevin Bacon in it. Yeah. <laughs> And I got this kind of just like sensory overload with kind of a, you know, just like a so many different plot threads going on at the same time. Sure. Like, I didn't know if we were supposed to be, you know, following Tom or if we're following Jake or like, I don't know. It was just like the hypnosis thing didn't work for me. And it just seemed, you know, a little unrealistic. So that took me out of it for a few minutes. And like, sure. it was just, yeah. I was all over the place with this one, Travis. Like I kept kind of going <laughs> all over the place with it. But I didn't hate it. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm glad I saw it. So I do well, appreciate you, you know, inviting me to do it. Yeah, it's one of those where, from looking at it from your perspective, you love the Sixth Sense, and someone gives you the elevator pitch of this movie, and you're like, oh, all right, I like the Sixth Sense. That sounds a little bit like that. Let's do this. And then you sit down, and what you're watching isn't what you kind of went into it going. And and that's you know that's another interesting thing is expectations versus what you get out of a movie. Um, I did cover event horizon a few weeks ago um for this uh might have been about a month ago now and that was a movie where my expectations going into it the first time i saw it in theaters made me not like it i did not enjoy that movie when i saw it in theaters um a couple years later i saw it again and i realized no no i like this this is good because at that point i knew what to expect i didn't have I didn't have these different expectations for it. And so then it worked. And from then on, I've really enjoyed uh, that movie. So, yeah, it's one of those where it's like nostalgia plays into it. uh, Expectations play into it. um, Other films that are like it play into it. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you didn't hate it uh, because, you know, I I don't want to show somebody something that they just absolutely hate. But at the same time, I completely get why it didn't it didn't it didn't stick the landing for you. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. I would say, again, as I mentioned earlier, give it a little bit of time and, and rewatch it at some point um, and just sort of take it in for what it is because I think it's a it's a good movie. And if nothing else, um, I think more people need to see it, uh, in, whether it's to appreciate something like The Sixth Sense more or to just say, hey, here's another take on the same similar, similar story type, but we're going to do it in a different way. Right, sure. So, yeah, well, one one cool anecdote though is I was watching it last night, and we have two rooms. With, you know, my wife usually watch her shows, and then I have our like I guess den or whatever where I watch movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she came downstairs, and I was watching it, and she just kind of like peeked her head into the door and was kind of like just like looking at the TV, like she was trying to figure out you know what I was <laughs> watching. Which I mean, she does that occasionally, but sure. She kind of she kind of lingered for a couple minutes. I'm like, what's going on? Are you okay? Like, what's, <laughs> do you and I was like, do you want to watch this with me? And she was like, is that Stir of Echoes? I'm like, yeah, that's Stir of Echoes. You know that? So my wife had seen it, which oh. I thought was funny because she doesn't watch like anything horror. Like she could care less. And this was a movie that she had actually seen like a long time ago. I guess like when it first came out, and she was like, I guess it was kind of coming back to her because that was probably the first time she'd seen it since then. So that was kind of funny. Could be. Uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, and then she was like trying to explain. She's like, "Is this the one where Kevin Bacon is like trying to find somebody that got kidnapped or whatever?" <laughs> Tell her what's happening, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I think I've seen that." So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> um, oh, one last trivia piece I have to mention because this was to me 
um, probably the one of the coolest pieces of trivia. Uh, and as a horror guy, I know you'll appreciate this. We talked about practical effects. Um, what did you think of the practical effect of the safety pin going through that guy's hand? Uh, through Ke- it's supposed to be Kevin Bacon's hand, but it's probably. But that effect looked really good, didn't it? I thought so too. Yeah, I thought that was. I did think that was a really good effect. There was actually a lot of really good effects that were kind of quick though. Like they mm-hmm. didn't linger on screen very long, which I guess maybe they had to do that for you know reasons. But yeah, I did. I did like that effect. I thought well, it was good. What's fun well about done. that is that's not an effect. They actually paid a stuntman to get a safety pin put through his hand. Oof, that's real. Guys, yeah. don't do that. Let's uh, use effects. Yeah, I All mean, right. it's like, well, we can do this with an effect. Nah, go ahead. Just stick it through there. That's fine. Well, I guess that explains why it was such a good quote-unquote effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And that was that was one of those. I, I read that, and I'm like, oh, well, I have to, I have to at least mention that one. There's no yeah, way that's to a good around that. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, I, I did not know that until uh, researching for tonight, so... Learn something new, even in a movie I've seen. Uh, this must have been the fifth time I've seen this movie. Because um, it was one of those where I I saw it, and then I remember watching it like t- uh, once and thinking, that eh, wasn't so bad. And uh, I had the DVD, so I watched it another time. Um, I think I was borrowing it from somebody. And then like several years later, it, I came across it, and I want to say it was Amazon Prime. And I was like, oh, I remember enjoying that movie, and I sat down and watched it again. So this is like fourth or fifth time that I've seen it now, but... Um, I'm really glad that you got to see it, uh, and, and that you didn't hate it. Um, you at least, yeah, me too. you know, you're, you're able to appreciate it and now you can say you have. So when it's brought up on exactly. another top five list, um, uh, <laughs> I am intrigued, I'm intrigued to watch that damn sequel though. Oh, I don't know why, but I'm like, do I need to do this to myself? So I don't know. I was going to tell you, I'm thinking about it. So I have this, I have this weird thing about starting franchises. Like I have to like watch the next one, you know? So. Well, it definitely is the know, only man. other part of the franchise, and I guess right. I read somewhere that the character of Jake as an adult is in it, uh, but I don't know beyond that. It's got Rob Lowe, which yeah, I'm not it's so a weird sure casting choice. <laughs> it is very. Um, so yeah, and it was definitely a direct-to-video. Uh, it looks it looks rough, but I yeah, also the trailer is the worst shot trailer I've like oh, ever man. seen in my life. Like I've seen trailers for like Peppa Pig that are better than this. <laughs> now we've mentioned a few times top five lists, but you do a show that's, that's almost all top five lists, isn't it? It is. Yeah. The yeah. whole, the whole shebang, man. So I'll tell them, man, I'll tell them. So actually Travis, I'm doing this new thing too, where I, I venture out into the world of YouTube, right? So I'm mm-hmm. doing a lot of, um, YouTube movie reviews, trailer reactions, like predictions, videos. Uh, I do, I try to get better at my video editing. So I do like cool little video edits that are usually centered around movies in some way. So people can, if they have YouTube and they like to do that, watch videos like that, they can come over to youtube.com slash two piece on a podcast, just cause I would love people to come over and see the content that I'm creating over there and subscribe to my channel. And then the main show that Travis has been on a couple times. He's going to be coming back. It sounds like, which I'm excited about is just, it's just two P's on a podcast. That's TWO spelled out on all of the podcast platforms. And you can also find all of the links to different podcast platforms on our website, which is just two P's on a pod.com. Yeah. And it's, if you don't already subscribe, you should, because it's a fun show. It's not just movies. Uh, I know you're a movie mm-hmm. guy, but you, you cover movies, you cover music, you, you've done food lists, top five sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And right. I had a good time on it when we talked about chases in movies because 
it, it made me think about chases in a different way. And a lot of your lists do that. You get really interesting guests and then they go in a lot of those lists go in directions that I don't expect. And that's great. Yeah. And, and I like, yeah. I like too, where you'll be like, all right, this, this should make my top five list, but I don't want to cross over with you. So it, it's on my honorable mentions. <laughs> that's and, right. I got to a point where I just do that now. I'm just like, all right, I'll just sacrifice. something. So. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take the L on this one. And we'll, yeah, we'll go in yeah. this direction, but it's, it is a really fun show. Um, and I've enjoyed my time on it and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Uh, and then well, you, appreciate it, man. you also just wrapped up the live stream for the cure, right? That was what last weekend, we did, two weekends yeah. ago, uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. And that's a, that's a great thing too. That'll be coming around again next, uh, May. Um, yeah. and, uh, mm-hmm. I will definitely be promoting that again because that's a really cool thing that you guys do. Um, that's great, man. Yeah. I was able to be on site with, uh, Nick, formerly of Epic Film Guys, he has his own cooking show now called Nikolai's Kitchen, but he's kind of the headmaster that runs the whole thing. But mm-hmm. he, um, you know, just basically does it out of his house. And me and my friend Dan from Netflix and Swill joined him there the last couple of years and just kind of helped him put it on. But yeah, we raised money for cancer research and our goal this year was 15,000 and we ended up hitting 19,000. Wow. Uh, before it was all said and done with. And we're going to go for 20 next year. And based on how it went this year, I'm pretty confident that we'll hit that next year. That is we phenomenal. Just have, you know, three days of it's, it's similar to, you know, I tell people that I work with that I ask about it. It's similar to like a telethon, you know, in the mm-hmm. old days when you had a telethon, but it's like a podcast-a-thon. So it's, you know, it's like a telethon, but we do podcasting and we stream it on Twitch and then people can donate money while they're watching us do, you know, you know video formats of our podcasts. So, uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's every May, so I'm sure when it rolls around next year, we'll be promoting the hell out of it. So hopefully people can come over and donate and watch on Twitch and do all that stuff. Absolutely. It's very, very cool. I'm glad you guys do that, and uh, any way that I can help, I will. Um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being on. Folks, check out Two mm-hmm. Peace on a Podcast. Gerald does good work. you got stuff on your Patreon that you're doing. I'm I'm getting ideas of things that I want to do based on what I hear you talking about and your YouTube stuff. It's funny that you're, you're getting into that because I've been kicking that around for a while. Like I need to do something with video and then I see what you're doing and I'm like, damn it. He's beat me to it, but he's doing a really good job with it too. That's great, man. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I I guess I need, I owe you an apology though, because I guess I'm kind of doing this show on my (laughs) Patreon. (laughs) It was inadvertent, but I I did the first series for Halloween. My buddy had never seen them and we Mm -hmm. watched the whole series and then I think you messaged me at one point. We were like on the third or fourth movie, and you're like, "That sounds like a really good concept." I'm like, "Oh crap!" I took Travis. I took Travis's show. But like, oh I yeah, I mean, it. you know, it, but and... we do this. We do this. I should have you on for that. Actually, that'd be funny. But we do this thing called my first time, where you know, either me or my guests, or in some cases both, and we do franchises. So we'll yeah. cover like a series of films that either one of us have seen any of them. So we did Halloween. We did Harry Potter. We did Lord of the Rings, which I had never seen. Lord of the Rings, I couldn't believe, but now I have, which is great. And then we just wrapped up Ghoulies, the Ghoulies franchise with our buddy Ooh. Drew from Real Phil. So we're going to be doing awesome. Beverly Hills Cop soon. So, yeah, just uh, basically I stole your idea from my Patreon. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's one of those. I, I did it completely tongue-in-cheek when I was like, hey, it's a pretty good idea for a show you guys. Yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, I like, oh. but, but it is actually a really cool idea to dive into a series like that uh, and mm-hmm. and hit something. Because I have a lot of series that I've seen like one movie in, and then I don't watch another one. Or uh, we, used to, we used to do um, like, 15, 20 years ago, uh, some friends of mine and I lived together and we would do bad movie Sundays where we would go to the video store and we would 
we would give points based on uh, certain criteria of the movies. Like, okay, is it a sequel? That gets extra points. Is it uh, is it a sequel in a series we haven't seen anything else in? That gets extra points. Um, you know, does the box art look like it was made uh, on a Commodore sixty four? Well, that gets extra points. And so I ended up seeing things like Scarecrow four, and I've never seen any of the other Scarecrow movies. Like weird nice. stuff like that. Nice. But I really yeah, I, I can't I can't do that. I'm really weird <laughs> about like sequential like sequential viewings. So mm-hmm. I hate I hate that you made me watch Stir of Echoes because now I'm gonna have to watch freaking what is it, Stir of Echoes <laughs> The Awakening or whatever. What is it called? Yeah, something like that. It's I, Oh I my god, with Rob Lowe, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Well, see, I just had uh, it. I just had it on here. Let me find it real quick. Because now, uh, Stir of Echoes to the Homecoming. The Homecoming. There you go. Okay. Even worse. The Awakening mm. would have been better. It would okay. have been. Well, uh, both you're welcome, and I'm sorry. So, <laughs> no, that's fine, man. That's fine. But yeah, uh, thank you, Gerald. This has been great. Uh, always welcome back anytime. Uh, we'll find some more stuff. Maybe we'll get a we'll find a good horror movie that you love that I haven't seen, and you can make okay. me watch that. Because I've made I'll, you. I'll, I'll pitch them to you. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I got you to watch Heat. And I fixed that glaring problem. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. And, that uh, was and, great. And then Stir of Echoes, which I watched I watched Heat again, by the way, recently, a couple mm, months ago. So, so good. I, so good. I purchased it. I own it now. Excellent. So you, you introduced me to it now. It's in the collection. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I don't I just want to say don't send me hate mail over Stir of Echoes, guys. <laughs> no, you know, I did no, hate no. the movie. It, it had good parts and there were good characters. I just as a whole, didn't connect to it, but I don't want to get a bunch of you know hate tweets or whatever. So nah, I, no people. And if nothing people else, I'm going to be the only. If nothing else, I'm going to be the only dude to watch Stir of Echoes: The Homecoming in the next few weeks. So. <laughs> That's true. And look, you liked the movie. We covered. Uh, I had a guest on a couple weeks ago, and we watched The Last Airbender um, because mm. I felt like torturing Ooh. myself. Wow. Uh, yeah. That was brave. That was brave. Boy, that's one of two. Two movies, the other being Miami Vice, that I have no desire to see again. Out of 118 mm. movies, 119 actually, that I've covered on this show, and there's two of them that I'm like, I don't really want to watch those That's again. That's pretty good numbers, though. That's pretty and good I, odds. And I could be convinced to watch Miami Vice again, but no amount of money is going to get me to watch The Last Airbender another time. No, please don't. That, that movie was terrible. Um, it's funny that it's funny that you said that, because for live stream for The Cure, I had to watch The Happening, ooh, um, which is equally bad. I, yeah, so... <laughs> Um, so if you want to be, uh, in the chat room while I'm, uh, recording the show with my guest, uh, like Diana or Nisbet or Danny Ora, um, you can come, it's usually we record on Sunday nights, 8 PM at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Tonight's a little different. Uh, I'm doing this on a Friday night, but works better for Gerald. And I've got no problem with that. Um, and I've got a real fun one coming up next week. Uh, Lisa from I Love That Movie, which is another great podcast. I was just on recently um, talking about murder by death. And uh, she has never seen The Crow. Oh, wow. The interesting thing to that, though, is that one of her favorite movies of all time is Dark City, which is the same director and came out just a couple years later. So when I found that out, I was like, all right, well, you're coming on. I'm going to make you watch The Crow. So that's next week. I'm I'm talking the crow, and I love the crow. I have. I do too. I'll be. I'll, I'll look forward to that episode to hear how that plays out in 2021. I actually just did a retrospective with my buddy Brad from the Cinema Guys. He we did a crow retrospective about two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, I think it was anniversary. I think I'm not, I can't remember, but Sounds what about year right. it was. But, but yeah, I love that movie too, man. So I'll be looking forward to that episode for sure. 
Yeah, so that's coming up next week. Um, and if you do listen to this show and you uh, you listen to it on like Apple Podcasts or something along those lines, if you can rate and review the show, that helps it become more discoverable to people that don't know you that you can't give a word of mouth uh, recommendation to and find and makes it pop up in searches a little bit better. Um, partially because I gave it a, ter- uh, a terrible name with a lot of punctuation in it, and it's hard to search for. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's what's coming up next week is uh, the crow, and then I've actually got a really fun anime I've never I'd never seen before called Redline in a couple of weeks mm. that I'm hearing really good things about. So that's what's coming up. Um, and again, thank you everybody for for hanging out tonight, everybody for mm. listening, and Gerald, thank you for coming on, watching Stir of Echoes, and talking with me about it. Uh, love conversation with you about movies; it's always good. Of course, man. It was a blast. And anytime you want to have me on to talk about something I've never seen, I will absolutely be here to do it, brother. Absolutely. Well, until next week and uh, and my conversation about The Crow, um, look, world's weird. Let's just be excellent to each other. We just smoke this great big fatty.